given and giving. God's perfect perspective on possessions. Let's begin with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us a perfect perspective on the life that we are currently living. Give us a perspective that understands the place that death holds and give us a perspective that understands how to live a life pleasing to you, even in a world that is so filled with death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When you think about living in this world and you drive down the street and you see signs, you see businesses, you see uh, places where you go to accomplish different things, imagine what life would be like if there was no sin, there was no death, there was no decay. How many businesses would be out of business if there was no sin, death, or decay? Just think about that for a moment. Maybe your mind first went to places like hospitals, right? Without any health problems, there would be no need for doctors. There would be no need for police insofar as they uh, bring justice if a crime, crime has been committed. Uh, we could still imagine in a perfect world that there would be authority as people end up working together and having someone who is responsible over a larger group. Um, think about, and this, this feels awkward for us even to consider, but before there was sin, there was no shame. And so the clothing that came into play was after the fall into sin, all of the stores that wouldn't be around because of that. No funeral homes, be no cemeteries, there would be no insurance companies. It's like go down the line, all of the things that exist only because of sin, death, and decay. In fact, maybe you're one of those who wouldn't have a job because if there wasn't any sin or death or decay. This affects not only what businesses might still be in business, but also just the fact that we have to think about all of this time. We have to think about this all of the time. Like, how are we going to protect ourselves from the reality of decay or the potential to lose something? So if you were to just think of yourself and like, what are all of the different strategies that humans can use to try to avoid losing something? Uh, for example, losing wealth. What do people do to avoid that possibility? It may be the insurance that you purchase. So if you have a disaster, it's not going to take everything away. It may be that when you do your investing, you try to have a little bit in this pool, a little bit in that pool. A little, you diversify to give yourself the sense that if something really bad happened, I'd still be protected. Maybe you think about our nation's military, that a government, a strong government, is one of the things that gives a person confidence. They're not just going to suddenly lose everything that they have. Isn't that interesting, though, that we're totally in this mindset, recognizing that, yes, things can be lost, and we're going to try to do everything we can to avoid that reality. How different life is because there is sin and death and decay. There was a man many years ago who was exploring this issue. In fact, he, he did an experiment and he wanted to find out what would happen if he pursued this experiment. Uh, what is the experiment? Well, it's recorded for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, today we're going to basically get a feel for the entire 
book of Ecclesiastes. What is God trying to teach us? And the writer of Ecclesiastes, most likely Solomon, um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 12, tells us what he's about to do. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So here we have a Solomon. You can tell that he wanted to think about something. And that was his plan. And here he gives a little bit of the conclusion as well. He says, wow, God has placed such a heavy burden on mankind. A little hint at what he's going to conclude from his experiment, but there's a, there's a bit more. The details of his experiment. I undertook, Solomon says, great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made water, uh, I made reservoirs to water the trees. I bought male and female slaves and I owned herds and flocks and I got silver and gold, gathered lots of money for himself, uh, and male and female singers, so he had entertainment, and a harem as well, the delights of a man, man's heart. I became greater than anyone in Jerusalem ever before me, Solomon says. But in all of this, my wisdom stayed with me, he reports. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure my heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. He was trying to find happiness. He was trying to find something that gave meaning in life. Now, imagine yourself conducting Solomon's experiment. So you know what was on his list, that he tried to get as much of it as he could to find out, is that the path toward happiness or a sense of meaning in life. What items would be on your list as you denied yourself nothing that your eyes desired? What would you be your experiment as you wanted to get the best of what you could imagine getting on this earth? Maybe you're thinking about having as much money as I could possibly imagine. Maybe you're thinking, oh, it'd be really nice to have someone clean my house for me or someone who could make all the meals in your home or you want to travel. Maybe you want to go around the world, right? Something that you could imagine. If I just had it, then surely that would make, that would make me happy. Now, Solomon conducts an experiment. Are, are you interested in knowing how it turned out? So here he, he tells us, after he pursued happiness in all of these like amazing different ways, second, uh, the second chapter of Ecclesiastes, verse 17. Solomon says, after the experiment was done, I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. I hated them because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they are going to get control over all that I worked for. This is meaningless. 
my heart began to despair over all of the toilsome labor under the sun because you can work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but then you have to leave all of it to someone who hasn't worked for it. Meaningless. A great misfortune. I mean, what do people get for all of the hard work and anxious striving that they have during their labor under the sun? All their days are work, are grief and pain, and even at night, their minds don't rest. This is meaningless. That's not all. Chapter 3, starting in verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil, right? This is what we're trying to figure out. Like, in the end, what's the real benefit? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So, he mentions that burden again that God has laid on humanity, but then adds something. That God has put eternity in the hearts of men. There's an awareness that there is something called eternity. But, Nobody can wrap their mind around what that all means or what it is. We can't fathom what God has done. So here you have an experimenter, and he's trying to figure out, like, what is it that gives meaning in life? And he tried all of these different things, and not a single one of them brought him that sense of fulfillment, of lasting happiness. And then he says that's the burden that God has put on humanity, which we'll talk about a little bit more. What exactly is that burden? But then God has also put eternity in our hearts so we know that there's something that is so different from what we recognize to be true, this, well, role that ultimately death plays, right? Because you lose everything and then it goes to somebody else. But we can't wrap our minds around what that thing is that God knows about this eternity and the bigger We can't see or understand any of that. If this is feeling a little a little dark, Solomon is intending that we put ourselves in his shoes and we step back and realize just what is the nature of life based on all that we can see, all that we can perceive. And what he said so far is it's pointless. You can get the best of everything. You can go on that world, anything. And in the end, it's meaningless because of, of death. Look at something a little more specific that Solomon talks about. His straight talk about money in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So we're in chapter 5, starting in verse 10. He says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, this too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And maybe you've noticed that. The more you have, the more money you end up having to spend to take care of it. What benefit are those goods to their owners in the end except to look at them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they end up being able to eat a lot or a little. But as for the rich, as much as they have, it makes it difficult for them to sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. So somebody gets uh, very, very wealthy and it only ends up hurting them in some way. 
wealth lost through some misfortune so that there's nothing left for their children to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands, all right? At death, none of it can come along with you. This is a grievous evil, Solomon says. What do they gain? What is the point of all of their work? They toil for the wind. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Anger, affliction, frustration. You know, when, when uh, you work through this Solomon having tried all of the stuff in his experiment, and, and, and in the end, his reaction was he hated. He hated. Like, this makes me so angry, Solomon said. Just imagine someone who has gone through life and has thought that maybe they could pursue happiness by acquiring this amount of stuff and then they get it and then they're more sad than they were before. Imagine that you're a psychologist. Imagine that you're a psychiatrist. And you hear Solomon say to you, like, I hate this. I hate the fact that all of this experiment that I've done and all of this acquiring of different stuff has only turned out to nothing. I hate my life. You are the psychologist or psychiatrist. What do you say to Solomon? Do you tell him, well, like try to find meaning in life in some other way, like just be happy in the moment or try to make the world a better place. Maybe Solomon's thinking like, no, that's the problem. Like, I don't want to think about what happens after I die. That that makes everything pointless. What about now? And, well, try to look on the bright side. Or, you know, isn't there anything that makes you... Maybe focus on that one thing that makes... I mean, can you imagine being a counselor to Solomon? How many real-life counselors are trying to address this very issue? The reality is that for all we might try to do to convince ourselves that life with death can have meaning. For all we do based on what we can observe and see and try to figure out by our human powers, there is nothing that you could say to Solomon that would make things better. The wisest person in our own day would end up having to acknowledge the very meaninglessness that Solomon describes here. Death ruins everything. Death ruins everything. And when it comes to wealth, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 to 17 give all of these different things that can happen to wealth, that you get it, but it's, but it's not enough. You get more, more are the people that want to take them from you. You get more, you can't sleep very well. You get more, it ends up hurting you in some way. This is what Solomon, Solomon observed thousands of years ago. Do you have any examples from your life or perhaps from the lives of people you have read about or heard about in the media 
that would make you say, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 to 17, the different things that can happen when someone becomes wealthy, I can relate. Maybe there is an event in your life that feels a lot like one of these. This is what happens when you get something that you always thought you'd really want to have, and then maybe you've heard stories in the media. Like, what what can happen with wealth, right? People who are incredibly wealthy, in the end, may not be very happy at all. Maybe there was a time when you got something that that you were so hoping for, and then as soon as you got it, then all of a sudden you realized all of the additional challenges now that, that come with having this particular thing, and you almost wish you had never gotten it. Right? How many different, well, how many successes, lasting successes, are ever there if we think that we can gain a sense a lasting sense of happiness, a lasting sense of fulfillment by acquiring, getting the wealth of something, the best thing we could ever have imagined in a physical way. As we recognize that even gathering wealth in the end will not satisfy, Solomon had experimented. You might think, Okay, so like all we've identified so far are the bad things. Like, the, it's, so life, is life pointless? Like, is that where Solomon leaves us? And there are some verses which appear to give a little bit of light in this very dark place. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 24, for example, 24 to 26. Listen to what he says. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him... Who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Or Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. And one more. Ecclesiastes 5, 18-20. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them to accept his lot and be happy in his work, This is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Consider this. Agree or disagree? And then, like, how would you explain your answer? Agree or disagree? Solomon is basically saying, you might as well enjoy yourself because life is short and you only live once. Have you ever heard that? Right? Like, life is short. Make the most of it. Enjoy life while you have it, because you're not going to have it for very long. Kind of, I don't know, just like a fatalistic, almost, you know, pull as much joy. It can almost become an excuse to do whatever you want. But is that is that what Solomon is saying here when he speaks about there's nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in your work? Like There might be a part of that kind of fatalistic, well, hmm, then I guess that means I can do whatever I want. 
sort of perspective that would make you a little suspicious. Like, I don't know if that's what Solomon is saying. And in fact, from the verses that we looked at, you can say, I don't think that's right because Solomon's describing whatever he's feeling, whatever, as a gift of God. God is not fatalistic and saying, well, like, do whatever you want. Like, it can't be that. That there is some gift that God gives in the midst of this life that always ends badly, right? Because death always comes. But is there just a little bit of light that you can do your work and find enjoyment in that? And the other thing you might have noticed in those verses is that he talked about how uh, the sinner, uh, someone who's not in the family of God, ends up gathering lots of wealth and then has to give it to those uh, who please God. There's a distinction between one's perspective if one is a unbeliever in what God has revealed or whether, whether someone rejoices in what God has said about life and eternity and all the rest. So there's a distinction there. So we've got God can give a gift of happiness while one is working and that it can be a blessing to enjoy what God has given, but there still is death, right? Meaningless. In other words, is this joy that God does give, sense of satisfaction, just small comfort? Is it really not addressing the key issue? Solomon has something more to say. And it may be an uncomfortable thought that Solomon shares next. It's in chapter 3, starting in verse 18. He's talking here about people and animals. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. And then he goes on to say, who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth. Later, Solomon makes clear that for human beings, he said, uh, uh, people die and they return to the dust, but then their soul, their spirit returns to God who gave it. So we know that Solomon understood there was existence after death for humans that made them different than animals. But right here in Ecclesiastes 3, He's simply focusing on the fact that from an from a earthly perspective, from what our eyes can see, from what we could acquire in wisdom based on observation, the eternal potential for humans and animals is exactly the same. There's no knowledge, certainty, confidence of anything after death. Now here's another verse. Having spoken about the animals and that their fate and humans' fate is the same, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, he starts off by saying, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house 
of pleasure. A hard saying. Notice God cares about your heart. He'll say it's better to be in a house of mourning, right? Than... So when you think about mourning, you might think about funerals. Now, going to a funeral could theoretically only heighten the despair that one has about the shortness of life. This hatred that Solomon expressed, like, I hate life, that all of the things that would love to give me fulfillment and meaning, I wish I could find happiness in that, he was wondering, right? The experiment. In the end, they gave him nothing in return. So now, if funerals could only serve to heighten the despair of the futility of life, Solomon here might seem to be saying, the heart of a wise man wallows in despair. House of mourning. Isn't that what Solomon is saying? If not that, what is Solomon's point? Solomon does not want you and me to pretend. He wants you to know the truth. The truth is that everyone dies. The truth is that death makes all of these things by themselves pointless. If we think, and, and maybe you've tried it, because it's human nature in all of our natures to think that maybe, just maybe, we can break the mold, do Solomon's experiment, try to find happiness or fulfillment in an earthly thing. And we never succeed, but there's a part of us that thinks, I'll just try one more time. Maybe I can get happiness this way. That is not wisdom. A wise man needs to go to a funeral. You know, maybe when, when you went driving yesterday or the day before, you saw an animal that was along the side of the road dead. Maybe in your yard you've seen a, a poor little bird who died, or maybe a baby bird that fell out of a nest and could not survive that can bring a tinge of sorrow in our hearts, but you just keep driving, right? We see death. On the other hand, on YouTube, there can on occasion be a video that cannot be allowed to stay because it portrays human death in some way in combat or something of the sort, right? In so many different ways, we are insulated from human death. Solomon doesn't want us to be fooled. He wants us to clearly understand that everything has been changed because of the sin that humanity brought into the world and that continues to infect us all. And as a consequence, all of us die. I need to know that to think otherwise, to live otherwise, is to be a fool. Solomon's not trying to hurt us here. Instead, he wants us to see the truth. Now, this leaves us in a very dark, meaningless place. Solomon does have something more to say. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting in verse 15. So, 
I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not sleeping day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. Solomon starts off by saying, enjoying life, remember that, was it a small comfort that God says he can give to his children, that there's something there. But, but notice that Solomon also says, when he had seen all that God has done, that no one can comprehend it. It's too big. No matter how hard someone experiments or tries to find out what the, what, like, what's behind all this, man cannot discover its meaning. And if somebody says that they know it based on human observation, they're, they're lying. It's not possible. And that may still feel dark. But what we've noticed here is Solomon is teaching us that his experimental process, which came to a conclusion, is not all there is. There's something that goes beyond what man can comprehend, right? Okay. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. He says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. So there is a positive blessing that God is bringing in the midst of this existence that has death at its end, right? So there's like some little ray of hope that is highlighted there. But now, I don't know if you've ever listened to a joke and as you're listening, it's going on and on and on. And you're wondering, okay, like, when is this going to come to a conclusion? Like, has it ever happened to you where you're ready to shut it down? And then the punchline comes and you roll. <laughs> you're saying, okay, like, I was ready to shut that one down. But, okay, that is really good. The book of Ecclesiastes for 12 chapters has been leading up to one verse, basically, maybe two Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard, and you have heard it. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. All that time, Solomon talking, and now he says, here's the bottom line. Fear God. When you think of the word fear, your first thought might be terror, something like that. Here's a definition for fear. It is the attitude of one who is lesser toward one who is greater. Greater either because of inherent power or position, because they have a certain role. It's the attitude of one who is lesser toward one who is greater. Greater either because of inherent power, they're just strong, or because of a position. They have a certain role. Fear God. God is bigger than you and me. The conclusion is not, there's no point in life. The conclusion is, there is no point when life is pursued going after earthly 
benefits because death ruins all of it. But have honor, respect. If, if the one who is over you, the, 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 the big one, when I'm the lesser one and I am to fear that big one, if that big one loves you, you are not terrified. You are amazed. The bottom line is that there is something bigger that we could never comprehend on our own that we only find out if God tells us that he loved the world, that he gave his one and only son to take death and die for it, to defeat death, that in the end that eternity that is in the hearts of people but they don't know what to do with it in fact has been solved by Jesus our Savior who as he creates trust in our hearts that what he tells us is true that he died for the sins of the world that he died for you and he did that that changes everything that I have a fear respect awe for God and follow his instructions his commandments that he is going to tell me what it is that truly gives meaning to life. Apart from God, meaningless. But with the truth of the true God, packed with meaning. And that's where we will be going next. Looking to discover what is it that God reveals to us that helps me understand how something that of itself is completely meaningless something like money can actually become this amazing tool in the hands of God's children to accomplish goals that are truly eternal. But those thoughts for another day. Let's close with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us of the futility of life so that we are not tempted to try to find meaning in earthly things. Thank you also for giving us true meaning in life as you are our God and have given us hope as you have sent your Son to be our Savior. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.